0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So, what are you giving up for Lent? Isn't that a question people like to ask? I actually think it can be a rather unhelpful question. I mean, is Lent really all about what you're going to give up? I don't think it is, or at least giving things up is only part of a much, much bigger picture. I want to ask you a very different question tonight. What rewards are you going after in Lent? I mean, giving things up sounds so depressing. It sounds like rationing. It's all about scarcity and tightening the belt and battening down the hatches. Now, I grant you, in the face of expanding waistlines and... Raging national or personal debt, tightening the belt, literally and or figuratively, uh, may be a good thing to do. But is it what we need to do spiritually, in Lent or at any time? Well, if your picture of God is that he's basically mad at you because you're such a disappointment that he's angry and you need to grovel, if you think he's used up most of his love for you and you are now totally in debt to him and you need to try and scrimp and save your way out of that debt, then yes, I suppose it does make sense that you'd give things up for Lent, beat yourself up, Cut back on anything that might be enjoyable and feel really bad about yourself. And maybe, just maybe in return, God won't hammer you, or at least not quite as hard as he would have done if you hadn't given up chocolate or wine or whatever. Well, if that's how you approach Lent, then I have to say that this is really a terrible strategy for getting out of your debt to God. For starters, given the miserable sinners you all are, I guarantee you will fail in your austerity measures and you'll just feel even worse than you do now. But what if God is not like how you might sometimes think him to be? What if he hasn't run out of love for you? What if he is kind and generous, and merciful, beyond your imagination. You see, if that's the case, which of course it is, then giving things up out of guilt or fear in the hope that you might thereby appease his wrath doesn't seem to be a very appropriate response. Instead, how about spending yourselves liberally for God and for others? How about investing for the future, storing up treasure? How about living your life with great confidence and out of a profound sense of the abundance that we have in Christ? What if you could live in the expectation of receiving a fantastic return on your investment? What if you could live in a way that guarantees you marvelous rewards? Now, if I were a financial salesman suggesting that you trust me with your money for guaranteed rewards, you would be wise not to believe a word I was saying. But what I want to put before you this evening is not a get-rich-quick Ponzi scheme from a financial shyster. No, the offer of reward and satisfaction comes from Jesus himself. Jesus, who said, when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your arms may be done in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will, what? Reward you. When you fast... Put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And then to top it all, Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And here's the surprising thing. In doing each of these things, giving, praying, fasting, you stand to get a lot out of it. Now, you might think, boy, that's a terrible reason to observe a Lenten discipline. Surely we're not doing these things for what we can get out of them. Isn't the whole point that we're doing these things without any thought of reward or benefit? Well, that's not what Jesus says. Three times, Jesus very specifically says that we can expect our Father in heaven to reward us. The real question is not, will you get a reward? The question is, what kind of a reward will you get? I mean, let's take these three examples. If you give money to the poor and you make a big thing of it and, and, and make quite a splash and get your name up in lights, you can expect to get the admiration and praise of others. Okay, well, that's your reward. Or you can give secretly and trade the praise of others for a reward from your heavenly father if you pray and make a big deal of it i mean contextually we're probably not going to stand on the street corner and do that but there are ways that you can make sure people know just what a good prayer you are well then you can expect to get the reward of being looked up to or you can pray in secret and be rewarded by god And if you fast and look dismal and oh so holy, then you can expect to get the reward of people thinking how devout you are. Or you can fast in secret and receive the reward that comes from God. Jesus said, beware of how you practice your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, it's perfectly clear from this passage from the gospel tonight that Jesus expects us to pray and to give and to fast. These observances are one way of expressing our duty to God and to others and to ourselves. In each case, the disciplines, the giving something up or of doing something positive. They, these things are means to an end. The end being the blessing and closeness and all the rewards that come From a life that is lived not for ourselves or the approval of others, but first and foremost, for God. When we give alms, we're seeking to help our neighbor, especially our needy neighbor. And we serve Christ in others. And guess what? As we do that, we are blessed. Many of you, I know that this is, you know that this is true. When you serve others and help others. Who gets the most blessing? You do. And when we pray, we are seeking to come near to God. We are demonstrating to him our dependence on him. And we will not be disappointed when we do that. You'll be rewarded. When we fast, the reward is not so much that those of us who need to might lose a pound or two, but rather that this simple act of self-denial is a form of discipline that can help us draw nearer to God. You see, when we experience cravings for whatever it is we fasted from, and it might be food or it might be TV or social networking or whatever it is uh, that you decide not to consume or participate in, when you feel those pangs of hunger for those things, then we can also get in touch with our much deeper spiritual longings. The difference being that whereas material cravings are never satisfied, God can and does satisfy our spiritual longings. Actually, he's the only one who can satisfy those longings. Now, the examples Jesus gives were very different from each other not eating, praying, giving to the poor. But the common denominator was that in each case, where people were going wrong, was that too often they did these things wanting to be seen, wanting approval, wanting their rewards now. But when we do these things in secret, we can actually experience surprising freedom. John Ortberg, in his book, The Life You've Always Wanted, which is a book about spiritual disciplines, writes about what he calls approval addiction. Listen to what he says. Some people live in bondage to what others think of them. The addiction takes many forms. If we find ourselves getting hurt by what others say about us, by people expressing other than glowing opinions of us, we probably have it. If we habitually compare ourselves with other people, if we find ourselves getting competitive in the most ordinary situations, we probably have it. Like other addicts, we will go to great lengths to get a fix when we are desperate. Yet, like other addicts, we find that no fix lasts. And so we keep coming back for more in a vicious spiral. Henri Nouwen puts this problem in perspective At issue here is the question, to whom do I belong? To God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry and a little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits and a little success excites me. Often I am like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of the waves. The alternative to this addiction is a life of freedom. And so we give, we pray, we fast, we take on disciplines, whether in Lent, in particular, or at any time, in order that we might be set free to draw nearer to God. I hope that this Lent you will practice this freedom by doing the good deeds that Jesus calls us to do in secret without regard for others' opinions of us. And this practice of secrecy can be really liberating for those who've become trapped by the desire to be seen or to impress. And so my challenge to you as you are called this day to the observance of a Holy Lent is this. Whether you are giving things up or taking things on, and both are a good good thing to do, do what you are going to do for God, in secret, for rewards that will last. And you can do this by praying for someone this Lent. Just don't tell them that you're praying for them. You can do this by giving something to someone in need anonymously, or make a point of spending time with someone who's in need of time. Without them knowing that's what you're doing. It's okay to do things and expect some return from them. Just don't sell yourself short by seeking a return of approval or praise. When we practice the spiritual disciplines of fasting, praying, and giving, to name just these three from our passage, we can and should expect that by doing so, we will come closer to God that we will experience more of him. Because, you see, there'll be less of ourselves, less of those distractions. And we put ourselves in that place where we're more open to encounter God. You know, when I pray, I expect that it will make a difference. If it doesn't, there's frankly not much point in doing it. But there is every point in praying when we remember that God is, is a God who hears and answers prayer, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It's also a question of priorities. And as we begin Lent today, I want to challenge you about your priorities. And from our three scriptures today, I offer these three brief challenges. First, as we saw from the prophet Joel, God calls us to get our priorities straight. Even now, says the Lord, return to me, With all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Use this Lent to get right with God. If you've drifted away, come back. If you have gotten out of the habit of praying and reading the Bible and waiting on God, get back into that habit. Second... The Apostle Paul entreats us to do this straight away. Be reconciled to God, he writes, today. Now is the acceptable time. Not tomorrow, not next week, now. See, now is the day of salvation. Maybe there are things that have come between you and God. A grudge, a refusal to forgive, a besetting sin that you explain away or you try and justify or you think is suitably hidden. Be reconciled. Use this Lent to address these things. And third, practice. Practice your piety. That is the giving, the praying, the fasting. I think there's a rather unhelpful myth out there that if you really love God, then giving and praying and fasting will simply be very easy. It'll just come absolutely naturally. But that's not true. Just like in any other relationship, loving, serving, being kind and unselfish, well, that takes discipline, work, and commitment. Spiritual disciplines require practice. Giving things up for Lent are a good thing to do insofar as you do them in secret and as you do them with an eye on the rewards that God wants to give you. But above all today, I want you to hear what the Lord says to you. From the prophet Joel. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Return to the Lord, for he will abundantly pardon you. Return to the Lord, let his compassion speak peace to you. Return to the Lord, he will cleanse all your faithlessness. Let him renew your spirit by his grace.
1: It's Just... he's near to you as he calls you by name. Let his light pierce your darkened part. Let his words light your Leave your sin, seek His face